Welcome to the week five Sit Start podcast. I am Eric Smith and I am joined by Ryan Heath and we are here to help you out with your most difficult sit start questions for the week. Um, as always, check out QBList.com for our sit start article as our staff is going through every single matchup, every single relevant player uh, to cover everything you need to know for the upcoming week. But we are going to cut to the chase here. Uh, get to some of the more intriguing matchups of the week. Uh, but before we get into that, um, Ryan, we've got a really cool new tool, uh, research, uh, something that people can use here to go along with your weekly sit-start range of outcomes tool. So why don't you tell people um, about Oppo and uh, some of the cool things we're doing here at QBList. Yeah, so to be clear, this is not my uh, tool or resource. This is courtesy of Kyle Bland uh, at Blandalytics on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow. He did some awesome work with this new Oppo metric. Basically what it is, is it's just an all-encompassing opportunity metric in one number. So it can tell you essentially how valuable the targets that a certain player has gotten have been, including where on the field those targets came, if they were near the red zone, if they were deep down the field, if they were short near the line of scrimmage, uh, that would be less expected yards, but it would be more likely for them to catch it. So in a PPR scoring format, that will have its own weight, just sort of everything you can possibly think of goes into this oppo metric. And I think the cool part about it is you can see which players are overperforming or underperforming their opportunity. So Kyle is going to have a weekly article out uh, just kind of going through some of the overperformers and underperformers each week. It's already out and on the site for week five. Uh, Joe Mixon's a really uh big underperformer right now he's been getting a lot of very valuable opportunities but it just hasn't quite shown up in the fantasy points box score yet so he could be a buy low that might be one example of how you could use something like this so i'm gonna be saying oppo a lot on this podcast probably so just so everybody's aware that's what i'm talking about you could compare it to a metric like expected fantasy points is something that other people will call it throughout the industry or similar metrics yeah, and Kyle did a really good job explaining it. There's a, an explainer article to give you more information. I did think it was interesting how he pointed out that the good players tend to outperform Oppo. So it's kind of one of those things where you you kind of compare the numbers to your um, your prior conceptions on these players and, and, and for, help form your opinion. So I'm really excited that we're getting more stuff like this at QB List because uh, someone as someone who likes to create my own spreadsheets and just nerd out on fantasy football, like I love having something like this Oppo. Uh, spreadsheet that I can kind of dump into my own thing and pull some information from that. So, I mean, this is just a, a big giant spreadsheet. You can use it however you want. Um, you can just use it straight from the site or you can incorporate it with some of your own research. So really excited. I hope we have more of this going forward just to help you build your tools that um, can win you weeks, uh, you know, prepare for your draft in the off season. I, I see this as being super uh, helpful in the off season, Ryan, when like you're prepping for the drafts and you can add in the oppo scores to everyone and just kind of compare that along with ADP and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it could just kind of simplify and streamline a lot of the research that we do in the off season as well. Uh, it's, ju it's just nice having everything rolled up into one neat number, like who, who actually got the best, most valuable opportunities as opposed to like we're debating how much a target is worth versus a reception like that. This takes care of all of that for us. 
Yep, absolutely. So definitely check that out on the website. Um, shout out to Kyle. Really great work. And we'll have that article coming every week, just kind of highlighting some uh, buy lows, sell highs, however you want to frame it. But um, some people outperforming expectations. So very cool stuff. Uh, so let's get on to the news for this week. Um, we're going to skip some of the, the doom and gloom stuff around Javante Williams. We'll get to that backfield later. But uh, let's start out with the New York Giants, Ryan. Uh, this has been a decimated receiving core, and it's even worse now. I mean, we got Sterling Shepard out for the year. Kenny Galladay and Richie James didn't practice on Wednesday, but there's a glimmer of hope here. Wandale Robinson, limited practice on Wednesday, first practice since his week one knee injury. Kadarius Toney had a limited practice after missing practice last week with a hamstring injury. I think we've still got a little ways to go here for the Giants, but uh, should it, should we be stashing Wandale Robinson or Kadarius Tony at this point? Because I still think there's upside here, right? Yeah. I think that both Wandale and Tony need to be on rosters. Um, I would actually prioritize Wandale just because he came out as the week one starter. The giants actually wanted him starting in the slot. It, it feels like week one is a million years ago now, but I, I promise you that's what happened in week one before he went down with an injury. And Kadarius Tony, we've already seen him be very efficient and very effective in the NFL. It's the jury's out on if the Giants are going to play him and give him a full complement of snaps. You would think they don't have much of a choice with Richie James and David Sills running all the routes right now. Uh, I, I don't know how you could possibly keep Kadarius Tony on the bench, but he should be on your fantasy bench this week. Uh, and I, yeah, maybe one or both of these guys turn into starters going forward. Kind of interested with Daniel Jones if he's going to start throwing more and running less with that ankle injury. I, I'm not entirely sure how to project the Giants offense. Yeah, I agree. I'm prioritizing prioritizing Wandale Robinson. We just haven't seen him in the doghouse yet. He was a starter week one. We've seen Tony get benched inexplicably, even when there's lesser talent ahead of him. So, yeah, I would prioritize Wandale. Uh, yeah, and we, hopefully Daniel Jones, he did practice with his ankle injury. Hopefully he's good to go because Tyrod Taylor, the backup, did not practice with a concussion. So it's getting pretty thin in New York already. But if Jones can stay on the field, there is a little bit of upside here. So I'd be willing to stash these receivers, see if something develops here. I, you know, as much as everyone talks about Daniel Jones, the rusher, I, I've kind of been saying it for years now. I just, I don't think he's got the awareness to be out there running every down like Josh Allen does. He's going to get himself hurt. So I agree. He does need to stay in the pocket a little more, but maybe that's not a strong suit either. So it, it, I think we're going to be looking at a new quarterback in New York next year, but maybe we can get a little value here towards the end of this year. So um, let's move on to your New England Patriots. And this is a tough one because all of their quarterbacks are hurt and they're playing the Lions at home. So Ryan, I'm dying to play New England Patriots this week, but Brian Hoyer did not practice with a concussion. Mac Jones seems pretty limited. He did practice, but his ankle is, is a legit injury. Like, can we play Patriots against the Lions at home with Bailey Zappi at quarterback? I think we can, and there's a couple reasons for that. Number one is, as you alluded to, the Lions are the absolute best <laughs> fantasy matchup right now. We want to play anybody in games involving the Lions at the moment. Um, but even if Zappi is at quarterback, I was fairly impressed by, barely, by Bailey Zappi this past week. I don't know if we talked about that enough on the What We Saw podcast. He basically ran the offense just like Mac Jones would have like minus a deep shot or two that Mac will do that. Zappy wasn't doing any of that. He yeah. was mostly throwing out a play action to the open man, but he, he was mostly hitting him. Like it, it yeah. was not 
ugly football whatsoever. Like the Patriots were actually kind of stringing drives together. A lot of that was because of Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris on the ground. I think both of them are absolutely in play. I Ramondre is now the bona fide third down back. So if we see negative game script, then great. Ramondre could eat. If not, Damian Harris could easily surpass 100 rushing yards in this game. If there were ever a week to do it, this would be it for him. And then Jacoby Myers, who has not been playing, was limited in practice today. If he plays, I would be happy to plug him in. We know that he commands targets whenever he's on the field from whatever quarterback it happens to be. So I feel pretty safe with him. I've got him ranked as like a mid wide receiver three this week. Beyond that, I wouldn't. I'm not going to mess with like Devontae Parker. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. I have the Patriots running backs ranked pretty highly this week. I have Damian Harris all the way up at RB17. I have him ahead of Ramondre Stevenson. I like Ramondre more, but the chance of two touchdowns from Damian Harris against the Lions is just, it's way too appealing for me. So I got Harris pretty high here just for the touchdown potential. But Ramondre is still RB23, so I think they're both firmly in the starting conversation. And yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, I like Mac Jones, um, but it's not like he's a dynamic talent. So if you have a well-designed offense, which is in question, I suppose, in New England, but um, with Zappi, the type of quarterback he is, he should be able to kind of do a Mac Jones imitation here for a week or two. So I think we can get a, a playable game here from some of these skill position players. And yeah, I, I'd say just keep just keep targeting these Lions for as long as we can. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, hey, Bailey Zappi, I'm not going to lie, a little bit interested in DFS. I don't know if there's going to be a lot of ownership on him, but I, in my head right now, before I've looked at any ownership projections, Bailey Zappi is the galaxy brain cheap quarterback play. Yeah. I think in the draft process this year, there was an evaluator, uh, pretty clearly looking for a hot take that had Zappy as his QB two of the rookie class. So there were some people that liked Bailey Zappy. I don't know if his upside's real huge, but uh, definitely profiles as a competent backup quarterback. So I think we can ride him for another week here, but we'll see. We'll see if Mac Jones gets back and plays. I I think if he is on the field, um, you're probably starting uh, Jacoby Myers pretty comfortably. So hopefully he gets healthy as well. All right, let's move on to Buffalo, a little bit more exciting of an offense here. And it looks like we've got maybe some opportunities opening up in this passing game. Uh, Jamison Crowder has a broken ankle. Isaiah McKenzie did not practice with a concussion. I'm wondering if it's worth stashing Khalil Shakir, the rookie slot receiver. At least that's what he profiles as. I wonder if it's worth stashing him here in deeper leagues, or are we just going to lose any upside from him as soon as McKenzie returns from his injury? All right, so we are going to dig up and resurrect a take from draft season right now. Oh. Khalil Shakir's draft profile as a prospect is just about as good, if not better, than Gabe Davis's. So we talked all about Davis on the What We Saw podcast. I'm interested in Khalil Shakir. I think there's a chance that if he plays an entire game and runs all the routes out of the slot, I would not blink twice if he out-targeted Gabe Davis or outproduced him. So it doesn't seem like the Bills have really wanted to play Shakir. Like he was getting plenty of hype in the preseason, but they very clearly had kind of buried him on the depth chart behind Crowder and McKenzie. But I mean, if he steps on the field and he gets it done, it I mean, it might be hard for a team with championship aspirations to just throw him back on the bench. Or I mean, I don't know, maybe Gabe Davis gets benched and all is good in the world, but 
I, 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 but yeah, in, in short, happy to sash Shakir. I think it makes a lot of sense this week. Yeah. I, I think the real question is, I mean, McKenzie and Crowder were kind of splitting that uh, third receiver role, 48% of the snaps for McKenzie, 33% for Crowder. Like, is that role still there for Shakir, even when McKenzie comes back or does it all consolidate into McKenzie? I, I think that's the real question here, but it, you're right. It probably is worth stashing him for a week to find out. I would say if Shakir doesn't do anything this week or within the next week or two, then you can probably move on pretty clearly. So um, yeah, I, I, he was someone I kind of hoped the Bengals would get late as a kind of a depth option. He, he seems like one of those players who's just good at football, Shakir. That seems to be the, the scouting report on him. So um, I think in the Bills offense, maybe a little less worried about some excellent separator, like just get someone out there who can catch the ball and make some plays with the ball in his hands. So I do think there's some upside there. And then lastly, uh, not really a lot of analysis here, but just wanted to note that Brian Robinson looks set to return in week five, according to Ron Rivera. I guess really the analysis here, Ryan, is uh, we're done with Antonio Gibson, aren't we? We really are. I'm I'm <laughs> sorry, Antonio Gibson, but we fantasy managers don't want to play with you anymore. We're, yeah. You're getting dropped down the rankings. You shouldn't be in any starting lineups. It, yeah, it it's a rough scene for Antonio Gibson right now. Um, I all right. I think that's probably good for the news. Let's move into your running back rankings, Eric. Uh, so the first guy that I feel like I have to ask about, we even though we talked about him a little already, Josh Jacobs, is he just an every week RB1 now? What What is going on with this workload that he has? <laughs> uh, he's, he's, a, he's an RB1 this week. For I mean, once you put up 144 yards rushing and five catches, two touchdowns, uh, that, that puts you on the map real quick. So uh, I'm a little wary of Josh Jacobs game script against Kansas City. If they fall behind, it kind of worries me a little bit. But uh, Jacobs's usage spiked last week. He had a high of 72% of the snaps before this, and he played on 89% of the snaps last week. Uh, his previous high this year was a 12% target share. He had a 20% target share last week against Denver. So before this, like one of Brandon Bolden or Amir Abdullah had been playing like 20 to 35% of the snaps along with them uh, each week. And Something changed. I don't know if it's because they were 0-3 and they were really, you know, backs up against the wall or what, but I'd be surprised to see them change from that. I mean, this is a must-win game against Kansas City for them. So uh, the Raiders need this one. I, I think they need to stick with them. So as far as we're concerned, like running back's so terrible. He's an RB1. He's my RB9 overall. I think we just have to assume that this is the new Josh Jacobs until we see otherwise, because I mean, who else are you going to start instead of him at this point? So uh, it's tough to fully buy in, but until his usage drops back down, I'm in on Josh Jacobs. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I think all we have to believe for Jacobs to continue being a bell cow is that Brandon Bolden and Amir Abdullah can't, can't command any usage. I, I think we're fine making that assumption, right? I don't, I don't yeah. think that that's like a, crazy thing to believe whatsoever. So yeah, I, I largely agree with you. Um, and even against Kansas city with game script concerns, game script's not a concern. If Jacobs is going to run every single route out of the backfield, if they're, yeah. if he's not coming off on third down. So yeah, I, I can totally dig it. Uh, yeah. speak, speaking of running backs, I can totally dig. Let's talk about Brees Hall. Eric, how do you only have him down at RB 18? I thought he was, I thought he was going to be an RB one this week. Yeah. I, I probably could sneak him up there. Like you said, RB18, I I mean, I got like Clyde Edwards-Alaire at RB12, Fournette at 13. 
right up in there. Miles Sanders, 14. That's kind of the range I think I could move him up to. We'll see as the week goes on. But he's pretty clearly like either a back back end RB1 or high end RB2, in my opinion. Things are just really trending up for Brees Hall. Um, plays Miami this week. His snap shares have gone 45% to 27% to 51% and then 66% last year or last week. Um, his target shares by week, 16%, 2%, 23%, 18% last week. Like week two is pretty clearly an outlier at this point. He's had six or more targets in the other three games. So I, I don't know what more you want to see from a rookie running back. We usually don't see this passing game work this early. So that's really encouraging. Uh, Miami has been good against the run this year, but they've given up the four, fourth most targets, fifth most receptions to opposing running backs. So it, it feels like a pretty good spot here. They're at home. Like I, I think they'll be able to move the ball a little bit here. So uh, our range of outcomes tool gives him a higher ce- higher ceiling than Najee Harris at this point. Obviously Najee's matchup against the Bills is a pretty bad one, but uh, our range of outcome tool says if you want 12 plus points, Brees uh, Hall's your bet compared to Najee Harris. So um, yep, I got him ranked ahead of Najee Harris this week, and he's steadily climbing up towards like every week RB1 status. There's always a little question for me that Zach Wilson's going to fall apart, or maybe they give a little bit more work to Michael Carter because he is a good player, but I'm very encouraged by Brees Hall. Yeah, I feel like a year from now, we're going to be talking about Michael Carter like we talked about Naheem Hines, who who we will get to later in the show, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think Hall is just an amazing every down player. Like he, as you just said, he maintained his target share even through the quarterback change with Zach Wilson playing this past week. That very interesting, almost like running back targets are earned or something like that, not yep. inherited from quarterbacks. Uh, if you know, you know. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm pretty happy to wheel out Hall. If you're in like a softer league, I think he's very clearly like a buy high type option. Like, with these rookies, you you never know like what heights they're gonna reach as the as their rookie season goes on, and they continue to earn more opportunity. Are are there like any players that you would clearly deal for Brees Hall right now? Maybe some other running backs. I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit there. Well, it's hilarious that you ask because in my home league, um, I I had Javante Williams and DeAndre Swift, so I'm uh, in a little bit of rough shape at running back. I'm uh, thinking about packaging like DK Metcalf. I don't know what it takes to go along with DK Metcalf to make the Brees Hall manager interested, but they're kind of um, stacked at running back other than Hall. So I don't know. I think you you throw out a, a pretty good re- uh, receiver, uh, maybe chip in a lower end running back and you could get them. So I, I think it just kind of depends on team construction. But don't you think that's about the range is probably like the DK Metcalf. Like I also have Chris Godwin. Like I don't know if that's too high for Brees Hall, but I mean, you have to give up big talent to get a good running back. People do not want to deal them. Yeah, yeah, like a solid wide receiver two type, and yeah. yeah, I could I could totally see that. I'd be I'd be pretty happy to get Hall in exchange for that, just with the scarcity of the running back position. Yeah. Speaking of scarcity, we're let's talk about the Broncos' backfield. There, there's plenty of scarcity in Denver right now. Yep. Uh, break this down for us, Eric. What What are we doing? Uh, I, well, I don't know what we're doing, but I'll break this down for us. Uh, so this is the Thursday night game here. Melvin Gordon, I've got him as RB19. I don't, I'm not really sure if that's high or low for most people. I, I just think the volume is going to be there, even though it's against a Colts team that's allowing just 3.1 yards per attempt to opposing running backs. Like they've allowed the seventh most receptions. I think there are some ways that Gordon can have a pretty good week. It's hard for me to rank him too high just because this offense it looks so miserable. Um, so that's where I'm at on Melvin Gordon, a pretty solid RB2, certainly upside for more if this offense figures things out. But 
I, I think it's worth remembering that Javante Williams was averaging 10 and a half PPR points per game and Melvin Gordon was averaging 7.2. So it's not like this is some juggernaut role that he's falling into so far this year. We'll see if the offense improves again, but we do need to see this Broncos offense do something here. Um, Javante was handling about 45 to 65% of the snaps each week. So there's obviously a hole here for Mike Boone to fill in. I've got him at RB 42 this week. I just don't want to roll the dice on Thursday night football against a tough defense to see how much he plays. I just think it's going to be more Melvin Gordon here. So that's where I'm at on Boone, but I do think he's got upside going forward. Um, and I am interested in Latavius Murray long-term. I know it's a gross name, but he produced pretty well for the Saints uh, in his brief appearance last week. We know he'll score touchdowns. Coaches trust him there. So I would give Murray a week or two to learn the playbook, but I do think he'll be relevant at some point unless Gordon and Boone really just take this job and run with it. How does that even work that Latavius Murray can play the week before as a practice squad player and then get signed off of the Saints practice squad to the Broncos like that. That just seems a little strange to me, but I actually read an article on it because Saints fans were a little bitter. Uh, they wanted to keep <laughs> Latavius Murray. So uh, I believe that he, the Saints kind of offered him a deal and he chose Denver uh, for, I got presumably the, the, you know, either easier path to playing time. So I think he kind of had a choice here and, and he chose to go to Denver. That's what I read from it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess New Orleans put him on your active roster if you yeah, want to exactly. keep him that badly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I have trouble getting like any Bronco in my lineup personally in, in this spot. Uh, yeah. I Twitter told me that Javante Williams was playing like over 70% of the snaps in the first half before he went out with the injury. Like we probably would have been talking about Javante Williams bell cow season if he had made it through the game. So that just wanted to doom or post a little bit there and make, make sure everybody, make sure everybody remembers just how cruel fantasy football can be. Uh, I, and again, speaking of cruelty, we're going into the Falcons backfield now. <laughs> uh, Cordero Patterson is on IR. How are you handling this in the rankings, Eric? Yeah, I'm intrigued by this backfield. It's just we get Tampa Bay week one. So I'm being cautiously optimistic here. I, I've got Tyler Algier down at RB32. Uh, I do think we should stash Caleb Huntley, but um, we're not going to start him this week. So Algier, I mean, he's definitely playable. Like, uh, I would play Raheem Mostert over him, who's just in a better matchup against the Jets. But I would play Algier over Antonio Gibson. Um, I'd even play him over ETN. We just haven't seen the production from ETN. Tony Pollard, I mean, we'll see if Dak Prescott's back or not. Even Cam Akers, I, I think I would play Algier over them because he's going to be the lead back in an offense that wants to run the ball. And the Bucks have allowed the second fewest rushing uh, points to opposing running backs this year, but they're a little closer to middle of the pack as far as rushing yards and yards per carry. They haven't been quite as dominant as in years past. So I don't know. I, I, I think that there is a little bit of production here for Algier. Um, last week, uh, Cordell Patterson played 29% of the snaps before he left with injury. Algier was at 44%, Huntley 22%, Avery Williams 13 Um, All of those running backs other than Williams were fed the ball like crazy on the ground when they were on the field. So they all looked good last week. And um, Algier was the only one who saw a target at all those running backs. So I, I don't think we should get too excited here. It's mainly going to be game script dependent, the games where the Falcons can run over the opposing team like they did the Browns last week. But I do think Algier, you can play him this week. He's, he's certainly an RB. I know I have RB32, but you could certainly play him as an RB2 this week and feel 
pretty comfortable. And I, I have Caleb Huntley on my bench personally, just seeing if this is closer to like a 50-50 split or is Algier going to take, you know, 75% of the snaps. Is Arthur Smith going to make sure to run the ball even if they're down 21 points to the Bucs in the second half, Eric? Is, is that what we're going to have to suffer through? And and all those names that you just said somehow find fantasy production. I, I feel like that's kind of the direction we're going. It's tough because I do like a lot of the things that Arthur Smith does. And then he just does things that are just infuriating. So I tend to think that if they are running into a brick wall, he will adapt and they'll throw the ball more. I mean, they just ran straight through the Browns last week. So like we said on the What We Saw podcast, it did make sense as much as we hated it. They were running like crazy. They won the game. But I think he'll adapt. I think he'll throw the ball more. Uh, They need Mariota to play a little better than he did um, kind of second drive on last week. That's going to be a big part of it. But yeah, I... I don't I don't think he's going to run into a brick wall this week unless it's like a seven to seven game in the second half. All right. Well, I guess we're Arthur Smith touts on this podcast now. <laughs> what what a turnaround. That was for a us. lukewarm take. Yeah, I hey that compared to how we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks and how everybody else in the industry has that that might be the nicest thing I've heard about Arthur Smith for a long time. So. <laughs> I, congratulations. You're the Arthur Smith guy now. Hope, oh, hope you enjoy that. Well, now Kyle Pitts is uh, missing practice and played 60% of the snaps last week. So they can just move on from that and just go full Arthur Smith. Just maybe Pitts will sit out this week. They can just not even worry about that problem. Yeah. I, I mean, if you're going to stand Arthur Smith, it just like I am defending Pete Carroll now, apparently like we're, we're doing full one eighties on, on all these coaches. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. On to the Buccaneers. Eric, the the biggest question that's been on my mind for the last three odd days is Rashad White happening now. He's he's on the field. He's getting playing time. I I'm interested. I don't know. Tell tell me what to think. I want it to happen. I'll tell you that much. I'm willing it to happen. I'm a little skeptical, though. I mean, he's still like an elite handcuff. I'm not worried about that. And they need to use him. They can't use Fournette. Uh, he Fournette played 91% of the snaps in week three. They can't do that all season. Um, but this week, week four, uh, Fournette was on the field just 61% of the snaps. So, yes, that looks like things are trending up for Rashad White. I would just be a little bit cautious here only because this was a sneaky blowout last week. I mean, the Bucks rallied and made it a little bit close, but uh, they were down 21 to three early in the second quarter, 38 to 17 towards the end of the third quarter. Uh, Rashad White scored his touchdown after that, after it was 38 to 17. So I do think maybe a little bit of garbage time work here is what happened with Rashad White. But um, again, 38% of the snaps, 10% target share. Like that's super encouraging. It's encouraging that like they've had a bunch of reasons to put Rashad White in the doghouse and they haven't. Um, he had a pretty bad drop a couple weeks ago. He fumbled the opening kickoff last week and they stuck with him. So I am not starting him yet. I still want him on my roster. I still would be willing to go out and trade for him for a, a cheaper price, but I'm a little hesitant to call him any more than like a, an elite handcuff. So we'll see. I, I hope this happens and Fournette's been on the injury report already. We'll see what happens, but I'm not quite there yet with Rashad White. All right. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, like clear guy that you want on your bench. He, he again was only like 30% rostered before waiver, waivers ran this week. Like that, that's just, where are these fantasy leagues? I need to, I need to find them. I, I try every off season to find the fantasy leagues that Rashad White is available in. And I always fail. Yeah. It's, it's brutal. I wonder what uh snap share we would need to get Rashad White to, to kind of get a, I don't know, poor man's Tony Pollard, you can start some weeks. Like, I think if we were getting 
forty percent of the snaps from White, we could think about playing him in some shootouts, right? Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, especially if he's going to be running routes predominantly, like yeah, that that could work. I could talk myself into that. I think. Uh, and all right, well, speaking of talking ourselves into stuff, it's time to talk about the Colts' backfield and Naheem Hines. Take me through your thought process here, Eric, because I, I think you were struggling a little bit with what to do with Hines this week. Yeah, I mean, I'm ultimately going to need you to talk me into him. I have him at RB28 against Denver. Um, it's just hard for me to rank him higher. I mean, they're just not using him much. And I, I realize that Jonathan Taylor is out, and so that could certainly change. But even last week when Taylor was out, I mean, we saw no production from Hines. I mean, we had two catches for three yards. Like, I just don't. He, he's got eight total rushes on the season. Like, I'm just very skeptical that this is going to be a productive offense without Jonathan Taylor. They've had offensive line issues. Like, I just don't really see what I'm supposed to be encouraged about other than he's got a shot at, what, 60% of the snaps? Like, how much is he really going to be on the field? I, I'm having a hard time getting him higher than RB28. And I mean, that puts him ahead of some players like AJ Dillon and Raheem Mostert. You know, like it's not like it's, I'm saying not to start him, but I, I bet there are a lot of people getting a lot more excited out there about one week in Naheem Hines. So where are you at on Hines? Yeah, the way I kind of think of it is Jonathan Taylor has been more involved in the passing game and as far as running routes this year than we might have expected. Uh, he ran more routes than Hines did last week. So what, what's interesting to me is maybe Hines just completely takes over all backfield route opportunities. And Colts running backs have combined for 8.8 targets per game this year. That was a pretty surprising stat when I looked it up. So if we can project Hines for six, seven targets, yeah, like you said, that gets you over like the Raheem Mostert's for sure. Um, but I, I would largely agree with you. It's hard to rank him ahead of guys like J.K. Dobbins, who you have just above, even Rashad Penny, guys that have upside running the ball on the ground that could put up like serious yardage. So yeah, that that's where I'm at on Hines. Uh, pretty lukewarm, tepid as you are, I think. Yeah, I mean, if we can get, you know, 10 to 12 carries and six catches, like it's obviously going to be a productive week. So uh, we just have to see... It's really about the passing game work, I think. If, if you told me he was going to get eight targets this week, then I'd be pretty much all in on Hines. Yeah, and obviously it's it's hard to make the vacated targets argument when I'm like the number one anti-vacated targets argument person. So I I don't want to run out there and say that that Philip Lindsay absolutely will not be getting any of these targets and that it will all be Naheem Hines, but I it's it's what you would hope for and that that's kind of where we're at at RB28. Yeah. Exactly. So I mean that pretty much wraps up running back for me. Like I, I did point out in our rankings article there are four defenses that are pretty clearly the worst at um stopping fantasy points from running backs this year. That's the Texans, Lions, Seahawks and Chargers. So start any running backs you can against those defenses right now. That means that Travis Etienne, while I don't have him ranked super high, like it's definitely a desperation play that adds a lot of upside. I'm not giving up on him yet. Um, both of the Patriots running backs against the Lions are in play. Even if if Alvin Kamara misses this week, Mark Ingram against Seattle, like that's a desperation play I'd be on board with because they just lost Latavius Murray. Like I don't know who they have after Mark Ingram. So if Kamara's out, I think you can even talk yourself into Ingram against Seattle. They're giving up 5.3 yards of carry and then 
obviously you're starting your Browns running backs against the Chargers. They're giving up 6.1 yards per carry this year. So um, just I, I thought it was worth pointing out. Those are clearly the four worst run defenses so far, as far as fantasy points allowed. Chargers just are always cropping up as one of the worst teams against the run every year, no matter how much we talk about how much talent they have on their defense. I, I'm yeah. so sorry, Chargers fans. Like this, it just plays out every single year like you would expect. Yeah. And they their offense has kind of insulated them from it a little bit this year. Like teams have attempted the sixth fewest rushing attempts against them. So if they can keep the lead, get out the leads, put up points, they're going to be fine. But if the Browns can hang in there, they could have a field day running it on the Chargers. So that's that's kind of the gamble as a Chargers fans every week is can you get that lead to keep the run defense from being exposed? So um, we'll keep an eye on that as the year goes on, because I do want to do a better job of pinpointing these defenses that are just uh, getting gashed on the ground. So. All right, let's get into your receivers, Ryan. Um, man, I didn't think we were going to have to do a Tampa Bay Buccaneers receivers section, but it um, looks like you want to talk about Chris Godwin and Julio Jones. So I think this is like week five of talking about the Bucks receivers. Yeah, week five and hopefully the last week. Like, <laughs> fingers crossed that nothing else gets shaken up uh, because I think the situation is stabilizing somewhat. So I have Chris Godwin ranked as the wide receiver 23 and I have Julio all the way down at wide receiver 52 against the Falcons. He would be a desperation only type of play. So just looking at how the opportunities were split up this past week, uh, Chris Godwin had 16.4 oppo, uh, which included 10 targets versus Julio's 4.1 oppo opportunity points with only two targets. So Godwin is very clearly the 1B slash 1A with Evans. He's running all of the routes. Julio ran only 17 routes to Russell Gage's 33. So this is a situation where, yeah, Julio might get on the field more as he becomes healthier, as that partially torn PCL continues to hopefully heal up. Um but it's it's just tough to even think about starting Julio if you don't know that he's going to be running a full complement of routes. Like the the whole idea with this Bucks receiving core last year, where they had three startable guys, was that Antonio Brown wasn't running as many routes, but he was insanely efficient. I think Julio is capable of that, but not, probably not on only seventeen routes. Uh, for Russell Gage, what was interesting is he was running routes outside a lot uh, with Godwin playing mostly in the slot. So maybe that's a sign that the plan is to get Julio healthy and playing over gauge. Um, Cause you wouldn't think that they would want to run gauge outside and Godwin in the slot. You would think if it's gauge on the field, gauge is in the slot and Godwin's outside, but it, if it's going to be Julio, if that's Julio's spot, then it makes more sense. Um, but all a very long winded way of saying Julio is a bench stash at best for now. And Godwin is a locked in wide receiver two or even better the rest of the way. Yeah. I, I think if we see this offense really begin to start humming again and the offensive lines looking better and Godwin and Evans are healthy and Brady's throwing the ball downfield, like then maybe we can start talking about Julio or Gage as a third option. But yeah, right now, like let's, let's just wait to see uh, if Godwin and Mike Evans can have good weeks and we'll go from there. Uh, I mean, Man, Fournette, what? Fournette rushed for negative three yards last week. Like, th- this offense has a ways to go. So, even against Atlanta, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting Julio, I'm sitting Gage, and let, let's see, maybe in a, a nice matchup, they can regain our faith here. 
Um, yeah, and I, I mean, ten targets each for Godwin and Evans. I'm I'm a, I'm a happy man when that's happening. Yeah. I I I think we're I think we're all pretty happy with the situation there. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, they're probably going to run for more than negative three yards on most weeks, uh, so maybe we can't bank on that. But I I am encouraged by Godwin's usage, uh, even with that injury scare. I'm glad I'm glad he's okay. But that that would that would have been pretty tilting if he had been knocked out again. Yeah, I think he was on the injury report with his knee this week. It was a limited practice, though, so I think as, as long as he's practicing in limited fashion, we're probably in good shape. So, all right, let's get on to the Pittsburgh Steelers wide receivers here. I've, I've been intrigued by this. Um, I, I, I knew that Kenny Pickett was going to get in there. You don't draft a quarterback first round, and he sits behind Mitchell Trubisky all year. So I've been intrigued by what happens when they make the change at quarterback. So what are you seeing here at Pittsburgh? Yeah, so I wanted to talk about it because it, well, it's a pretty trendy topic right now. I I feel weird not addressing it, but I'm not totally dropping Deontay Johnson in my rankings. I like, I feel some are ready to. This is a one game sample. Yes, he only had four targets to Pickens eight. You would think that, yeah, maybe Kenny Pickett is going to favor Pickens going forward. Maybe Pickens is just the better talent between himself and Deontay Johnson. We could easily be having that conversation by the end of this year. But just given the history of Deontay Johnson commanding targets with any competition around him, I, I had to post him up at wide receiver 27, which I feel like is even conservative. Um and Pickens I have down at wide receiver 47. So probably not starting him against Buffalo this week, uh, which has just been a horrible matchup, um, especially for opposing quarterbacks, but also passing games in general. When you look at the oppo, Pickens also led the team in that metric this past week uh, with 14.2 to Deontay's nine. I also want to call out, though, that Pat Fryermuth has sneakily been getting targeted pretty heavily this season. Uh, He's got 12.2 oppo per game. That's seventh among tight ends. If Deontay Johnson is competing with Pat Fryermuth for those short to intermediate targets and that total pie of short area targets gets smaller as the offense shifts to picket throwing downfield more, Maybe Deontay, maybe that's how Deontay Johnson gets a little in trouble and a, a little bit squeezed out here. But it, I don't know. I, I just feel like a hack saying that Deontay Johnson's going to get squeezed out by Pat Fryermuth and George Pickens. But may, I mean, may, maybe if we fast forward a year from now, then that, that will just feel obvious because I, I do think these young players are really talented and could end up having as good or better careers than Johnson. Just trying to think of this from like a, more of a long-term dynasty perspective, if any of what is coming out of my mouth makes sense. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, I, I noticed Friar Muth doing the tight end rankings this week. Um, he had a 36% target share last week, I believe. So um, obviously got the ball a lot. I mean, he's still like, you know, seven catches last week for 85 yards. He's far from a big play threat. So I still think like, yes, he may draw a lot of targets, but I do think they're better off giving those targets to Deontay Johnson. So I would be willing to, you know, buy low on Deontay, especially this week. I mean, like you said, Buffalo is a brutal matchup for any position, uh, especially when it's a rookie quarterback and a struggling offense and struggling offensive line. I mean, I've got Najee Harris all the way down at RB22. And I mean, I always rate these high volume runners high and I just had to sink him this week. So I'd be willing to buy Deontay Johnson, especially after a dud this week, you might be able to get him for a nice discount. So 
I'm not panicking. He had 10 plus targets every game before last week. I, I just think it was one of those games and uh, give him a couple of weeks to get in, in sync with uh, Pickett here. Yeah, th- this could very easily just be that one week blip where we're really excited and thirsty for a young player to kind of leapfrog and take over on his depth chart, but it ends up not happening like that. That feels most likely to me the, if I when I'm talking through it in that direction, I think. Yeah. And I mean, we've even Justin Jefferson's disappointed us for a couple of weeks this year. You know, like I just have a real hard time holding one game against any receiver here. So I'm I'm still on board Deontay Johnson, but I, I do understand ranking him down at 27 against the Bills. So um, let's look at uh, upcoming schedule. They got Tampa Bay, Miami, Philadelphia after that. They're going to have to score some points. So uh, if they can move the ball, they're going to need Deontay. So <laughs> I, I think I think it's better. Better days are ahead for sure. So. All right. Let's get, I think we talk about Washington's wide receivers every week as well, but I do think it's necessary, especially when you see where you have ranked Curtis Samuel compared to Terry McLaurin this week. Yeah, I have made the switch. I can't remember if I made the switch last week or not, but it's it's very pronounced and dramatic yeah. this week. I have Curtis Samuel up at wide receiver 22 and Terry McLaurin down at wide receiver 39. I'm, I'm so sorry, Terry McLaurin. Yeah. Uh, but he's been out-targeted by Samuel this year. 27 targets for McLaurin and 37 for Curtis Samuel. Like, th- there's a clear opportunity gap here. And Samuel gets involved in the running game. He's seen eight carries on the year. And, th- I mean, it makes sense. They have this gap in opportunity. And that's pretty much perfectly represented in their gap in fantasy points per game. 11.4 for Terry McLaurin to 16.3 for Curtis Samuel. Uh, if I had to like diagnose what's going on here, because yeah, McLaurin is underperforming the target shares, the target earning capabilities that he's shown us through his entire career. I, my guess would be that Carson Wentz just doesn't like throwing deep or out to the boundary to the outside receiver to McLaurin. And he's just happier to throw it close to Curtis Samuel and, the average depth of targets kind of illustrate that Samuel's 4.4 on the year McLaurin's way up at 15.7. That that's too high of an a dot to give consistent production week to week. Like the too many of those longer passes are not going to connect and that it's going to happen often enough that McLaurin's going to be really up and down and probably not all that reliable of a fantasy option. Yeah. Um, I mean, it also doesn't help when you're getting sacked like what seven times a game makes it a little hard to get down the field. So I mean, that makes sense. I, I guess if you wanted the optimistic approach on McLaurin this week, it would be uh, John Dotson looks like he's going to miss this week. So that's one less target. Tennessee has been pretty bad as far as giving up points to opposing wide receivers. So this could be a nice matchup for them. We'll see. Uh, but I don't fault you for dropping him. He, he's definitely going to be big play dependent uh, from everything we've seen this year. And that, that gets a little scary when you're trusting the big plays. So I, I don't fault you for it. I do think there's a little bit of hope here, but like ECR right now, expert consensus ranking has him at wide receiver 25. I would rather rank him at 39 when you where you have him than 25. That's just, that's too high for me. So, I mean, that's like above Deontay Johnson and uh, some players I trust a whole lot more than Terry McLaurin right now. So yeah, if you can, I would say let's wait a week, see him rebound first, and then we'll get him in our lineups. 
Yeah, tw- I didn't even know that. 25 feel, feels yeah. unreal to me. Like, Although, hey, I will say I, can say, I can say all I want about expert consensus rankings, not like my wide receiver rankings have been doing that well in these <laughs> past two weeks. I'm, I'm glad we took that victory lap two weeks ago because our our performance in the accuracy has gone, has, we're not still not horrible, but has no. gone down considerably from our two-week high. I try to remind myself of finishing middle of the pack against um, other experts. Uh, that's a pretty good thing. So I, I think we fit in at least. I had a, my best week at running back yet last week. And I, of course, promptly tanked my tight end rankings, uh, which I was like top 10 end before that. So, you know, that's how it goes. You you, you correct one mistake and then uh, the thing you're good at falls off. So we're looking for a across the board performance this week. So, um, all right, let's get to Robert Woods for the Titans. I, I think we have to kind of like him now right like what else are they gonna do throw it to derrick henry every week well i mean they might just throw to derrick henry every week he has been historically involved as a pass catcher so far this year more more than he ever has been before uh but i think it is worth just kind of taking a look at robert woods he he's someone that's been kind of easy to ignore and not think about this whole year but with Traylon burks missing some substantial time it looks like We've got to talk about Robert Woods in a matchup against the Commanders. Washington has given up the third most fantasy points to opposing receivers so far this year. I look, I mean, Woods hasn't been amazing. He's kind of a shadow of his former self. He's only been pulling a 19% target share, 24% air yard share on the Titans, and that that's only 7.8 oppo per game. So I not posting like insane opportunity or anything but i think there's a potential direction this game goes where woods is worth like a desperation start i'm sure the titans would love to just run derrick henry 30 times when they're two and a half point favorites but it yeah i mean if washington can get their offense together then maybe the titans get pushed a little bit and have to lean on robert woods because other than that, there's not not a whole lot else in this receiving core. Um, Kyle Phillips, basically, like it. Yeah, there's. I I don't really know who else Tannehill can go to. Yeah, I mean, Burks wasn't playing a lot. He was playing about fifty three percent of the snaps on the season, but he had a sixteen percent target share. That was the only one. I guess uh, Kyle Phillips was over ten, but the only one over ten other than uh, Robert Woods. So it, even though he was not seeing a ton of work. Uh, Traylon Burks was still getting used a lot. So yeah, it's a, it's a big opportunity for Woods. We'll see how much he's got left. I agree with you. The key here is just going to be when can we get the, the good game scripts for their passing game? Like if we ever get a game where they're trailing by 20 points and just chucking it, like I could see Robert Woods having a monster week just because there are no other options. So it, like anything this year, it feels like it's kind of been boom bust where like you either get the game script and your player goes off or you don't and they kind of disappear. I feel like that's what it's going to be with Woods, but I would not be surprised to see a big week if Wentz can kind of put up a fight on the other end here. Yeah, and I I mean, if you're asking me here like point blank, do I think this game is hitting the over and that there's going to be a lot of passing? No, no. probably not. So yeah, Woods is in desperation only territory for me, but thought it was a situation worth addressing. Yeah, and he, he's trending upwards for sure. They have a bye week, but I would expect, uh, it sounds like what, he has a turf toe, I think Traylon Burks does, something like that. It should keep him out a few weeks. So um, yeah, a couple good opportunities coming up for Robert Woods. So, all right, let's get to the Green Bay Packers receivers. Where you at on them? Are you ready to buy in on any of these guys catching passes from Rodgers? 
Yeah, if I'm buying in again, I think it's on Romeo Dobbs uh, and not on Alan Lazard. I have Dobbs ranked at wide receiver 40 and Lazard at wide receiver 45 against the Giants. So in the last two weeks, Romeo Dobbs has kind of taken on a full-time role. So I only want to really look at that time period. In those two games, Dobbs has averaged 14.9 oppo. And Lazard in that span has been 12.1 oppo. So Dobbs has narrowly been seeing the more valuable opportunities. Even on the season, Dobbs has an 18% target share to Lazard's 17%. Lazard's getting downfield more. His average depth of target is up at 13.2, where Dobbs is down at 5.8. But hey, I mean, Dobbs is getting the ball thrown to him deep. He dropped that touchdown against the Patriots, which I mean, in any other year, you would be like, oh, this guy's in the doghouse. Like Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is trading him tomorrow. Yeah. But it, it seems like the Packers understand that these rookies are all they really have as far as exciting skill position players right now. I Like you, you can tell when they're making sure to get Christian Watson the ball mm-hmm. on handoffs and right. in motion in the red zone to just try to make something happen with, with their receivers. Like it, I think they understand that Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb are not the answers here and that Dobbs is going to continue to get these opportunities. So for now, he's not really in like the, you want to start him range wide receiver 40, you could flex him, but you just want to hold and watch the situation continue to evolve. I think the momentum is probably in Dobbs's favor. Yeah, and I think you're below consensus on both of them. Is it more of, is it kind of just the lack of a floor that you see in them? Like, do you just not trust them to give you production every week? Or why are you down on them just kind of in general? Is it game script? Like just lots of running? What are you, what are you thinking overall? It is mostly game script and how the Packers very clearly want to be a run first team. And I mean, they probably should given their personnel. Uh, there were so many snaps. I wish I had the, the percentage off hand, but it AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones were on the field lined up on either side of Aaron Rodgers. It, it felt like on every single drive at yeah. least a few times they would just change up which side he would hand it off to like they tony romo was super happy that he got to call it the pony formation every <laughs> single time they lined up in it so yeah. it that's stuck in my head a little bit to where it it really feels like the packers are kind of the patriots but with a hall of fame quarterback right now but yeah. what a sad statement for a patriots fan to say but <laughs> That that is kind of their identity as a team. So I'm not rushing to buy into any of the passing game options as long as that is what they want to do. And against the Giants, they will probably be able to. Yeah, I was going to say the Patriots were able to push them surprisingly last week, and that got good weeks out of both of them. But yeah, I would not expect that with the Giants, especially if it's a hobbled Daniel Jones here. So, okay. So that brings us to uh, Rondell Moore, who I've actually been kind of um, interested in uh, checking out here. I, I honestly did not get much of a chance, though, to see what he did last week. So catch us up on Rondell Moore, what you're thinking with him going forward. Yeah, so I congratulations, Rondell Moore, guys. Uh, your, your favorite player is Greg Dortch. He's in the Greg Dortch role. This <laughs> is just what we all wanted and envisioned for Rondell Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rondale ran 33 routes to Dortch's 16 this past week. He commanded five targets, whereas Dortch only had one. It's pretty clear that Rondale is the 
full-time slot. I'm sure, and I would imagine that Dorch's snaps continue to fall as Rondell gets healthier and as the Cardinals get healthier at the receiver position. So I, I think you can just think of Rondale as we've been thinking of Greg Dorch. Like he's probably going to draw a decent number of targets every week. They're get, probably not going to be all that far down the field, but I, Rondale's a very explosive athlete. Like he can absolutely bust one of these for like a broken play for a long run. So I think there's more upside with him. Um, but this week against the Eagles, it's hard to get him much higher than where I have him at wide receiver 48 because the, the Eagles have one, one of the craziest stats that I think I've seen about a defense this year. The Eagles are currently allowing more yards per carry uh, than they are yards per attempt through the air. Five yards per carry, 4.8 yards per pass attempt against the Eagles defense right now. So I I guess Kyler Murray should just not even look down the field. He sh- I think he's just going to take the snap and take off. I mean, on average, the, the analytics, they say that that's going to be better off for him if that's what he does this week. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's hard to get too excited about more just – until we see his average depth of target go up a little bit. Like I know we've liked Curtis Samuel because he's getting close to the line of scrimmage stuff and it's dependable, uh, but we need a lot of volume for that to matter. Moore hasn't really quite gotten there and he's like even lower average depth of target than Curtis Samuel is. So we need like something downfield. I, I think it's mainly just our concern with this play calling situation in Arizona. Like, you know, it'd be one thing if he's running crossers out of the slot and getting big open spaces, but it's more like, here's a screen pass with five guys around you. So I, I don't know. It's He's worth a spot on your roster. I do think the volume could be there eventually, but um, he's kind of another one of those. I want to see it first before I trust him. Yeah, I, Ron Nilmore aspiring to be Curtis Samuel, just, <laughs> just like we all thought before this season. Well, um, and to be fair, I, I think Curtis Samuel's got a better uh, profile too, just you know, prospect-wise and athletically. So uh, he, he might be lucky to get up to the Curtis Samuel level. Hey, Rondell Moore had one of the most productive freshman year seasons in the history of FBS college football. So don't I, I will not take any Rondell Moore prospect profile slander on this podcast, but I, I will allow Rondell Moore slander when he's locked into this just just really low volume yeah. or not low volume, but low value role. It, it's unfortunate, but such is life with Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, I think I need to break my prior thoughts on receivers. Just any any of these receivers that are 5'8", I just immediately want to write off. I, is he even 5'8"? I'm not sure if he is, but uh, I need to. Uh, the NFL is a different game than it was six years ago, so I, maybe I need to give him a little more of a chance here. Yeah, at 5'8", 5'7", 5'6", like it's just whatever you want to call him to win the <laughs> argument is, is Ron Elmore's height. Um, all right, why don't we move on to the quarterback position? It, and I'm not going to lie, it's a very tough week for quarterback streamers. Uh, there are 17 quarterbacks currently above 50% rostered in Yahoo leagues. Uh, th- part of that is with all the injuries we've seen to the position, but I think a lot of people have kind of just locked onto their guy or guys right now and are not looking to stream, which, hey, if that's you and that's going to work for you, great. But I mean, our job on this podcast is to speak to the sickos that are still trying to desperately stream quarterback in week five. So yeah, starting off, I've got Teddy Bridgewater for you. So yeah, if you just lost to a guess what? You, you're, you're probably still starting a Dolphins quarterback this week. I've got him ranked up at QB 16, which is higher than I thought I was going to be able to get him. 
Uh, they are at the Jets. The Dolphins are favored. They rank 13th in implied total this week. And the Jets defense is allowing 7.3 yards per pass attempt. I Really, the analysis here is that Bridgewater gets to throw to Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell. Like if this is just five yard outs to both of those players the entire game, I, I would think that at least a couple times they break one loose and get Bridgewater some nice yards after the catch and some fantasy points. Yeah, I um, really struggled with if I should pick up Jared Goff or Teddy Bridgewater this week, and I ended up going with Jared Goff. I like Teddy Bridgewater's matchup a lot more. I, you have Goff ranked ahead as well, so I guess you would agree with me there. But I, I do think Teddy Bridgewater has a shot uh, in this matchup to have a really nice week against the Jets. I, I could see the Jets putting up some points. I could see Bridgewater being forced to chuck it to Hill and Waddle. And yeah, I, I like the spot for Bridgewater. Yeah, maybe maybe a sneaky shootout in New York. I, I wouldn't be yeah. mad about that. Uh, moving on to the next streamer, I have Marcus Mariota again. I'm so sorry. There, I don't even really have anything new to say about him. The, the case is the same as it was last week. Obviously, the results didn't work, but I've got, got him posted up at QB 17 at the Bucks. He He's still one of only seven quarterbacks that is averaging over seven rushing attempts per game. One of those is Daniel Jones, who has a bum ankle now, so I would, would expect Mariota to surpass him pretty easily. With the Falcons being eight and a half point underdogs, we kind of already talked about this with Arthur Smith, but I the hope for me would just be that, that Mariota is forced to take some shots down the field and may, maybe they connect. They, there's a good chance they don't, but I think that there's enough here to be interested in him as a desperation option. Yeah. At quarterback gets really ugly after Bridgewater this week. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I guess my big question with Mariota is he looked good early on last week, and then he really started to struggle. He threw a bad pick. How much of last week was just they just ran the ball down the Browns' throats, and so they just kept doing it? How much was that like a shift where they're like, oh, no, Mariota looks bad. We need to take the ball out of his hands. Like, I tend to lean towards that they were just running the ball so well, that's what they went with. So, I yeah, I don't think they have turned on Mariota and don't trust him anymore, but I, I would keep an eye on that going forward because we've seen – some of these offenses where they no longer trust their quarterback and it's just a disaster. So hopefully uh, they give Mariota another shot, open things up early on and get the play action game going. Cause he was throwing bombs away before last week. He was throwing deep downfield. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't think getting benched is in his range of outcomes this nah. week. I don't, yeah. I don't think that they would want to throw Ritter out there against the bucks. Maybe if it's like a huge blowout and it's a Ryan Tannehill situation, like you're yeah. just not going to play the fourth quarter and we're going to watch Malik Willis now. And everybody's going to change the channel to watch Eagles Vikings instead. It, <laughs> it could be a situation like that, but yeah, I, I'm still fine going back to Mariota because, because your next best option is going to be a saints quarterback. I have Andy Dalton ranked at QB 20 right now. Winston did not practice on Wednesday. Whichever one of them starts, I think is in play as a desperation streamer. I, I say the word desperation so many times to try to escape accountability in this section. <laughs> if you've noticed, yeah, I look, they're playing Seattle. We just saw what Jared Goff managed to do to him, throwing a TJ Hawkinson and Khalif Raymond and other players that you've never heard of. Uh, the saints have the fifth highest implied total of the week that that's pretty good. That's a genuinely good signal for yeah. a saints quarterback. It's not as if their running game is doing a whole lot either. So yeah. I, I think whoever is under center here is interesting. 
if Jameis plays, I think he's above Mariota in terms of streaming priority. Uh, but I mean, even Dalton was eighth in attempted air yards per game after his performance last Sunday. It, it's not like he, I mean, I would expect an Andy Dalton offense to kind of dink and dunk, but who yeah. knows? Maybe, I mean, maybe the Seahawks are like the magic ingredient to these shootouts as well. They, they've been pushing the pace. Their defense is horrible too. Like that. They're the lions of the West coast, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can understand Dalton, uh, deeper leagues, uh, super flex leagues. Yeah. I, I, I could trust starting him home against Seattle. That seems like a good spot. Did you give any consideration to Geno Smith? I mean, the matchup at new Orleans just seems rough. We saw him struggle against a good defense in San Francisco this year. Like he's looked so good that it's tempting to be like, let's roll with it. But is it just the matchup just too much? Yeah, it is the matchup. It, it's just the matchup as well as him being a big underdog like that. It just scares me to play quarterbacks that I don't think have well-established talent profiles in those spots. I mean, maybe maybe Geno Smith's whole career, he's just secretly been really good and we've been overlooking it. But yeah, I, I have Geno down at QB 23 this week. I, I have him below Dalton, below Carson Wentz, and below Jimmy Garoppolo. So I... Mm-hmm. I, I think he's about like a, a Wentz level play. You could you could put him in that range. I, I'm sure there are people that are higher on him though, but he I don't want to chase the points on Geno Smith. I I don't know. Maybe I'll eat my words there. Yeah, I think we have some streamable matchups coming up though. Home against Arizona at the Chargers, home against the Giants at Arizona. Like there I think we'll be able to use him down the line. So we may talk about him more next week. Yeah. Oh, you're absolutely right. I'm sure I can almost guarantee he'll be on this list next week. Yeah, maybe even get a uh, get some DFS stacks in with DK Metcalf. That sounds great, huh? Yeah, oh, God, <laughs> I was the fact that Chalk Geno Smith worked out for people in DFS. I'm I'm still not over this. Like it's it's been four days, and I'm still I'm still not okay with the fact that that happened. But <laughs> let, all right, let's move on to tight end. What do you have for us in tight end streamers, Eric? Yeah, a little bit the same as quarterbacks. We're starting to dry up here a little bit at tight end. We've got 14 tight ends, over 50% rostered on Yahoo. So I think most people have found their tight end, maybe even two of them. Like I I know I've got Gerald Everett and David Njoku in some leagues. So um, people are stashing them, holding on to them. It leaves Tyler Conklin, as always, as our top streamer, 40% rostered. He's my tight end 14 against Miami. Um, His target share stayed steady with Zach Wilson back. It's gone 12%, 21%, 17%. 15% 15% last week with Wilson. Um, but the targets went from seven, nine, eight, and then five last week. So that kind of shows you the drop in volume we're getting because nobody can throw the ball as much as Joe Flacco. Like who, who would ever trust another quarterback to air it out like Flacco? So uh, like we kind of expected, the targets came down some with Conklin. He has just one target in the red zone. So I think he's pretty high floor, but low ceiling. So I'm kind of getting to the spot with Conklin now where I would probably risk it with a more high high ceiling option at tight end. I just, he's going to be there for you every week. You can start him, but I'm just not sure we're getting much more. I think we've seen the best from Conklin. There's just too many other weapons in that passing game. So start him if you need to, but you may want to roll the dice on some other options this week. I, I guess my only pushback is like, where, where is this ceiling at tight end that you're talking about? Like I, I'm right. trying, I'm trying to find it, Eric, and I'm just not, I'm looking up and down the ranks and I'm not quite seeing what you're talking about, but maybe no. you can talk me into one of these other guys. Now it, it's pretty grim out there. So again, you may need to stick with them this week, but 
A couple that I'm looking at, I, I wanted to talk about Robert Tunyon because we had brought him up last week. He's 30%, 33% rostered. Uh, we were hoping his snaps were going to go up. They actually dropped from 58% to 44% last week. He only had a 6% target share. He bailed us out with a 20-yard touchdown. Um, he's got two targets in the red zone, but none of them are within the 10. Like That's really what we're looking for for Tunyon here. So I don't love him. He's my tight end 15, mainly just because I think a matchup against the Giants in London, like that seems like a decent high-scoring spot for the Packers. So Giants have been good against the tight end statistically, but they've played Tennessee, Carolina, Dallas, and Chicago, which I'm not sure if there's like a tight end and a half among that group. So they haven't been tested at all. So Tunyon is in play just for the touchdown potential. We haven't quite seen it yet. So he's another one I'm kind of anticipating that it's going to come, but um, the, the snap share dropping is a concern. Yeah, I it's just kind of the same thing as with Dobbs and with Lazard. Is the, it, I don't think the Packers are going to be throwing a ton. It's just hard to get behind Tunyon. But yeah, I mean, I mean, the touchdown upside seems like it's there. Mate, like this is probably not 2020 all over again, but like it's, yeah. it seems like that's the role that he's going to be in is coming coming in and running routes in the red zone essentially. Yeah. And so the player that I may actually bump above him that I do think maybe has some upside. We've just been burned by this so many times that I hate to even mention him, but it's Mo Alley Cox for the Colts. He's only 7% rostered. I had him at tight end 17. And as I was making the notes for the show, I, I think I'm going to move him ahead of Tanyan, honestly. Like he, so his two highest single game snap shares have been um, for any Colts tight end have been the last two weeks with Mo Alley Cox. Uh, 59% in week three, 70% uh, last week. So he's kind of starting to take over at tight end. We've seen this flip-flop before, but 17% uh, target share last week, uh, two targets inside the 10-yard line this year. That's more than those tight ends I just mentioned. His floor is basically zero. So there's a ton of risk in actually playing Mo Cox. Like we can't trust him necessarily, but six for 85 and two touchdowns feels worth chasing as far as tight end goes, like, I know we don't want to chase points, but it's tight end. Like I, we have to, at some point, just kind of ride the hot hand. So I don't know with Jonathan Taylor out, I could see them passing more. Maybe he has actually taken over this tight end group and he's the one to roster. So I was looking at the, the oppo report um, from week four. He wasn't quite as high as I thought he would be with that um, breakout performance. I, I think he's probably about tight end 15 last week, as far as oppo. So, I mean, that's not awful. He certainly outperformed it, but he was getting some opportunities. So if you're desperate, I'd be kind of curious to just see if we can get it again with Mo Cox and chase some upside here. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, the, I kind of thought Mo, Mo Cox was dead after the first two weeks. Like when yeah. Kylan Granson is running more routes than you, it's pr your career is probably on the downswing, but that's completely flipped now. Uh, 26 routes for Cox last week and only 17 for Granson. So yeah. Seems like Mo Ali Cox is taking the lead in this just disgusting Colts tight end committee that it, it feels like we're talking about every single year. Yeah. Uh, if they if they could just settle on one, I think we'd be happy. But yeah, may, maybe it is Mo Ali Cox finally. Yeah, and the reason I bring up him and Tanyan is, I mean, we still have the the typical options: Logan Thomas, Hayden Hurst, Irv Smith, Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry. Like they're all out there. Probably more floor than Mo Ali Cox. You can play them, but. We kind of know that. They're in the same spot every week. I would keep an eye on Hunter Henry. He's getting a little more intriguing. His snaps shot up to 85% last week. Um, John Drew Smith left with an ankle injury. It's just hard for me to get real excited until Mac Jones is back in 100%, and Henry didn't do anything last week. But we've seen him produce in the past. He's getting the snaps again. So 
I would kind of maybe put him on your checklist or your watch list if you're really desperate tight end. Don't add him yet, probably, but it, it could be coming. I, I, I'd be a little surprised if Henry just completely disappears this whole year. Um, I guess my Pats fan take is, yeah, if John, I mean, any game that John who's out, maybe Henry picks up a few more routes, but it, I don't know. It, it kind of feels like the team is just black pilled on these tight ends that they went out and spent all this money on and just don't really want to use anymore ex- except as blockers. So it, it's tough. Um, but yeah. yeah, I, I think it makes sense. Like maybe we do see a role change for Henry. If, if he gets to what he was kind of doing last year, he, he was fairly touchdown dependent, but that so is every other tight end. So if, yeah, let's maybe we see his route shares start to increase. Yeah, I just thought it was noteworthy because I'm pretty sure he was down to like 40% snaps the week before last. So it was a, a change. It was very notable. So we'll see if the production follows, but not holding my breath quite yet. So, okay, that's tight end though. Like I said, most of the good options are pretty much scooped up now. So that's, uh, it's probably Tyler Conklin if you need somebody. So, um, all right, let's get to defensive special team streamers here. Uh, somehow Minnesota home against Chicago is only 63% rostered, Ryan. That feels like about eight sacks to me. So I would just start by saying, I know it's above the 50% threshold, but go get Minnesota if they're available in your league. Yeah. And I, I think they were below it before waivers, right? Honestly. So yeah. yeah, I mean, if, if that's who you just picked up to stream, congrats, you can, you can tune out for the rest of the podcast. Yeah. Otherwise I think probably the leading candidates here, um, we get Miami on the road against the jets, 32% rostered. Uh, I know we don't love road teams all the time, but I would expect um, Zach Wilson to maybe be a little bit giving with some turnovers this week. He's He's got a little bit of an ankle injury, I believe, too. Something cropped up in practice. So um, I kind of like Miami. Um, and then Tennessee against Washington in Washington, 18% rostered. Again, road game, but we've just seen Wentz get sacked so much. So I, I think those are the clear options. Did you see anyone else that piqued your interest, or would you be sticking with like Minnesota, Miami, Tennessee? Yeah, I think those are the very clear top three options. Uh I Miami's going to blitz Zach Wilson a ton. Miami loves to blitz Zach Wilson, especially if he's a bit, a bit slow, a step slow in the pocket like that, that is going to lead to a lot of sacks. So I, I really, really like that play. Um, other than that, I think if we're looking under 50%, we could talk ourselves into Kansas city, probably a high scoring game against Las Vegas. Uh, but this could be like a game script type of play where, if the Raiders get down big and Derek Carr has dropped back 50 times, I mean, maybe you're getting some added sacks, some added turnovers. I, I think that it could be a good spot for Kansas City. Yeah, Chiefs have some talent on defense, so I, I could see it happening. Um, I really have to break my brain from like the past five years because I see um, the Patriots home against Detroit, 40% rostered. Jared Goff in an outside game on the road against Bill Belichick. Like this should be a clear start, Ryan, but I guess we're buying into this Lions offense just too much, right? Like this is just, this is a dream scenario. Get a little cold weather, a little rain or something like that would be perfect to play against Goff. I I would absolutely not start the Patriots defense (laughs) this week. Um, I have no idea why the Patriots are favored right now. I think we opened as three and a half point favorites that just, just doesn't make any sense to me. If I wanted to make money, I would be betting that game. Um, I, yeah, I, this defense hasn't been how I've been used to it being for most of my life. Like we are getting beat through the air now, especially there are just way more mistakes, miscommunications in the secondary, especially. So I, yeah, we're, 
honestly, we're playing like an early season Patriots team where we would kind of see this and get that narrative going of, oh, may maybe the Patriots defense is bad now every single year. And then generally the team would figure it out. I, I don't know that we're going to figure it out. And I don't definitely don't think that the Patriots are going to figure it out against the lions. Yeah. I, the Jared Goff is a quarterback. You avoid starting defenses against now. What, what a world. I think you're being a little hard on your team. I mean, they faced Miami, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, green Bay. It's a three out of four pretty good offenses. They've had some sacks some turnovers. I I'm still waiting for like them to pull the rug out from under us on this Lions offense. And I wouldn't be that shocked if it was this week, but I agree. I would take all those other options uh, before uh, the Patriots defense this week. But again, if, if, if got through two pick sixes this week, I would not be the least bit surprised. Yeah, uh, there is a pass rush. There definitely could be some sacks, but I mean, Detroit has one of the best offensive lines in the league That's as well. So it's, it's tough. I don't know how much pressure is going to be generated and yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll gladly sit here as a Patriot skeptic right now. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up most of it. A um, couple late news items. Um, it doesn't look like Dak Prescott's going to play this week, although maybe that was already reported on. Um, I did see that the Ravens have signed Andy Isabella to the practice squad. So what do you think about that, Ryan? Are you going out and getting uh, Andy Isabella in your dynasty leagues or do you already have him? I, oh man, I <laughs> hope I don't have him anywhere. I, he's, you know, I did draft a lot of Andy Isabella, whatever year that was, but I, would hope he's been turned off my rosters at this point. Either I'm sure I still have him on one. Uh, but I mean, what, what that news item says to me is maybe Rashad Bateman is in danger of missing this week. Uh, if that's the case, Devin Duvernay, as we kind of talked about Monday, would get upgraded a bit. Right now I have Duvernay kind of just out of startable range, right? Uh, or maybe more so out of startable range and down in the fifties, but he would pretty easily jump into like wide receiver 40 range if Bateman were out. Yep. Isabella's just 26, Ryan. I, I saw him in some preseason action covering what we saw. I, he looked okay. He, he, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he'll get on the field with another team. We'll see. But I think the second round draft capital dream is probably dead with him. So all right. Well, that was a good one. I uh, really enjoyed this podcast. Um, I just hope you all will check out some of the good tools we've got up on the site now. Like uh, we always mention the range of outcomes tool, but um, now that we've got Oppo on there, just just a nice opportunity report, uh, a little bit similar to Kenny Heidenhoven back in the day. Um, just a really nice quick glance at the production that these players can offer. So I'm just excited about what we're going on. Please check out our sit start article. As always, we put a ton of work into it. So we uh, really appreciate you all checking us out. Um, we'll be on Reddit all day tomorrow, Thursday. Um, so check us out there, but otherwise hope y'all uh, get some wins in week five and we'll talk to you on the, what we saw podcast on Sunday night.